Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the dangerous deception of the devil. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. As a gazelle is being choked to death by the leopard in, in, in Africa, that gazelle is not thinking to himself, how am I going to have a good forever and a good eternity? Why? God didn't put that concern in the gazelle's heart or in the animal's heart. If a dog, dog doesn't want to die, no animal wants to die, they struggle to live. But if a dog is dying, he doesn't sit there and say to himself, how can I live forever? How can I have a good forever and a good eternity? God hasn't put that concern into the heart of the dog, but he has a man. And so man has this desire. Rabbi, what will happen to me after I die? How can I have a good eternity? How can I have a good forever? What does man need in order to satisfy this need for a good eternity, this need for a good forever? God tells us, and he says in Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell, God says, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Just like Solomon, I'm a little child. I don't know how to go in and out. I know I have the title of king. I'm King Solomon. I'm a little child. What is that? That's the spirit of a humble and contrite. And God says, to this person, I will look. To that person, we can be friends. We need to be friends with God. We need to be friends with the one who will decide if we have a good eternity or we have a bad eternity. And Egypt can do nothing to help anyone be a friend of God. And the world today can do nothing to help anyone to be a friend of God. Two great deep needs that everyone needs this kind of help in life. And they're given to us in 2 Corinthians 6.16, where it says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, and here they come, as God has said, I will dwell in them and will walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Everyone needs to have help with his thoughts. Everyone needs a companion who's not going to leave them, a companion for eternity who will never leave, never forsake them. And that's God. That's God. He promises to dwell or to live or to set up his house in them. Egypt can do nothing to help with a person's thoughts to give an eternal companionship as we've seen these provisions, feeble attempts on the part of the pharaohs to provide for themselves in the next life with food and ridiculous attempts. Why? Because God put olam in the heart of the pharaohs. God put eternity in the heart of the pharaohs. God put that need to have a good eternity, a good forever, and Egypt could do nothing 
for that. The second thing that everyone needs help with is a continual guidance. We need to be guided, just like Solomon said. I don't know how to go in. I don't know how to go out, much less how to judge his people. We need a continual guidance to make the right decisions. We need help. We're on a roller coaster of life. This is referred to as a walk. God said, I will walk in them. Egypt provided help in all the different areas that we've mentioned as they were the best in. But Egypt provided no help for the continual guide to help them in the roller coaster of the decisions of life. And the world today can do nothing to provide a guide who will help us in the decisions and will never leave us. Now, not only does Egypt at that day and our world in our day come up short for what really matters, the eternity matters, but Egypt at that day and our world today actually stand in the way of what really matters. Why? Because Egypt and the world are systems that are without God. Egypt and the world have religions without God. Egypt and the worlds are DIY. Do it yourself. Do it yourself. You justify yourself by your own works. But God says in Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. James 4.4 says, You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. 1 John 5, 19, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth or reclines in wickedness. The whole world is lying in the lap of the wicked one, of wickedness. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. You get that? The other verse before was the God of this world, the prince of this world, and the whole world is lying in the lap of the wicked one. Ephesians 2, 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. This world has a course. Egypt had a course. According to the prince of the power of the air, that course in Egypt, this course today of the world is charted out, is directed by, and is right on course, directed by the prince of the power of the air. It goes on to say, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Ephesians 6, 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, 
against spiritual wickedness is in high places. The whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one. The God of this world is blinding the minds of them which believe not so they can't be saved. There's going to come a judgment of the prince of this world. He'll be cast out. The prince of the power of the air is working in the children of disobedience. And we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Psalm 74, 20, have respect unto the covenant for the dark places of the earth are full of the habitations of cruelty. Where does all this cruelty come from that we see in the news? Where does all the murder, not just murder, the violent, where does all that come from? It comes from the dark places of the earth. It comes from the habitations of cruelty. It comes from the God of this world, the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the rulers of the darkness of this world, of this world, of this world, of Egypt, of Egypt, of this world. The course of this world is to go away from God, not toward God, away from God. The course of this world is to build up self, to build up my own strength, to build up my own esteem, to make me feel rich, insured for the future. I have need of nothing and no one. And that is deception. That's deception. That is what it was referred to as we read a minute ago, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds, blinded the minds into thinking self-sufficient of them which believe not. 2 Thessalonians 2.10 speaks of how the prince of this world, this world, works, it says, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Who is perishing? Those who have been infected with deception. Those who have been overpowered by all deceivableness of unrighteousness. And what's happening to them? They're perishing. They're perishing. It goes on to say, 2 Thessalonians 2.10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved, everyone who wakes up in hell is shocked to be there. The citizens of the city of Dachau, just outside of Munich, were shocked as they marched through the concentration camps that the Allies made them do. And they said one thing, we were lied to, we were lied to, we were lied to. Everyone who wakes up in hell says, I was lied to, I was lied to, I was lied to, but it's too late. Why? Because the prince of the power of this air told lies about God and destroyed the image, the good image of God in their hearts and made God not lovely, the way they said, made God to be harsh and stern and religious and wanting to condemn, and that's not God. But they bought it, and they allowed the deceivableness to take over. And what happened is that when God says, will you please come? Will you please receive this love of the truth? And then they said, no, I don't want the love of the truth. And they perished in hell. Deceived as to what sin is. What is sin? Well, they think, well, sin is just gross acts of violence, of murder and adultery. I haven't done that. Proverbs 24.9 says, 
The thought of foolishness is sin. The thought of foolishness is sin. It's all it takes is a thought. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said, you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already with her in your heart. The thought of foolishness is sin. Deceived as to how bad sin is. Oh, it's not so bad. Proverbs 6.13 said, he winketh with his eyes. Ah, you know, everybody sins. How bad is it? Ezekiel 18.20. The soul that sinneth it shall die. Death, not annihilation, but a state of death. That's what hell is. Deceived as to who God really is. Who is God? Matthew 25, 24. Then he which received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. A lie about God, being a hard man. In other words, he was saying, I knew you were a trickster. This whole gospel invitation is a farce because you've already decided, you've already elected who's going to be saved. There's nothing what anyone can do to stop any elect from being saved, and there's nothing anyone can do to keep the non-elect from being cast into hell. You have predetermined, you have elected who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. You're a hard person to come and cry for a lost person to be saved when you know he can't. That's a deception of who God is. Versus... John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, open invitation, believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Not whosoever is elected believeth, but whosoever. God so loved every single person in the world that whosoever believeth, just like he said in Revelation twenty two seventeen, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life. Not whoso elected wills. Matthew ten thirty two. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. Not whosoever is elected shall confess me. Luke six forty seven through forty eight. Whosoever cometh to me, and heareth my sayings, and doeth them. I'll show you to whom he is like. He's like a man which built a house, and digged deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house. It could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. Whosoever cometh unto me, he said. Not whoso is elected cometh to me. John 4, 14, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Not whoso is elected drinketh of the water that I shall give him. John 12, 46, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Not whoso is elected believeth. Tom, today you mentioned that the devil is the prince of the world. Now, I know myself and maybe some of the listeners out there are not used to thinking about the devil as the prince of this world, but can you explain to us how is he the prince of this world? Right. Well, it is unusual to think of the devil as the prince of this world because, first of all, a prince has power. And so we, we, we ask ourselves a question, how can, the, how can the devil have power? Well, we know the devil has power, but 
we have to first of all understand that all power comes from God. And so if the devil has power, that means that he's been given power by God. In John 19.11, when the Lord Jesus Christ was standing in front of Pilate, and Pilate said, I have power to release you. Then the Lord Jesus Christ clarified to him in verse 11, and he said these words to Pilate. Jesus answered, thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. See, he said, you have power, Pilate, because you've been given power. By who? By God. By, as he put it, given thee from above. So the devil has power because he's been given power from above. In, when he went through his own temptation in Matthew 4, 8 through 9, one of the three temptations was that the devil, it says, uh, taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain. The Lord Jesus Christ was taken up by the devil, it says, into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. So here the devil is showing the Lord Jesus Christ all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and then he's making an offer, I'll give them to you if you fall down and worship me. Worship me. Do you know what? The devil had those kingdoms of the world and the glory of them, and he could give them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ would not fall down and worship him. But the point is, is that he had those kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Why? Because he was given those by God. So why has the God given this power to the devil? Because the devil having this power from God works very well in God's plan to make this world a trying place, a place of trials. You know, it says in 1 Peter 1.7 that our faith is very precious. And it says that the trial of our faith makes it even more precious, our faith, because it purifies it. It puts it like this, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. As difficult as it is to go through, it's like putting the fire to gold in order to burn out the dross that contaminates and pollutes the gold. And so the trials that God allows to come into our lives are trials of our faith, And what happens is that it's a fire that goes in and it burns out the dross. It burns out the dross of unbelief. It burns out the dross of doubting God. It burns out the dross of sin. And so that when we come through that trial, our faith is more more precious because it's pure gold. And it comes out, and, and everybody looks at it, including ourselves, and we say, oh, to the praise and honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am now more pure for him. That's great to think about the power that the devil has and to be aware of how that can influence our lives. But today you also talked about the devil being a deceiver. 
And the Bible says that even our own hearts deceive us. So help us with this point of deception and the devil and our own heart deceiving us. Yes, it's absolutely true that the devil, as we've seen, has all power of deceivableness. In other words, he has a great ability to deceive. But that's not the only source of our deception. And there is a great passage in Jeremiah 17, 7 through 10, that puts it all out on the line so that we can see every side to the picture. It starts off in Jeremiah 17, 7 by describing the man who trusts in the Lord. It said, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Now, let's just pause here and say this man who's trusting in the Lord realizes that he has nothing in himself to trust in. So instead of trusting in himself, he's trusting in the Lord. Instead of hoping in himself, his hope is in the Lord. That's why it says, blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Then it describes him in the next verse. He shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaves shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. You see, This person who is trusting in the Lord, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, holding on to him, saying, I, every day, saying, I need Jesus. And he's trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ because he knows he doesn't, he can't trust in himself. He's not trustworthy. And he's he's saying, whose hope the Lord is. He's saying, if you were to, to epitomize, my hope is a person. It's the Lord. I look at the Lord and I say, Hatikva. He's the hope, my hope, my hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. What happens to that person? Oh, he's a tree. He's planted by hidden waters. People look at him. They don't see that his roots are spread out by the river. They don't see this. But what they do see is the phenomena that when the heat comes, his leaf stays green, that When there's a drought, he's not worried about it. He shall not be careful in the year of drought because he never ceases to yield fruit. Now, that's the person who's trusting in the Lord. Now, in verse 9, we have the person who's trusting in himself, and it says this. That person is in a very bad position because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Then it asks the question, Who can know it? You see, if you don't trust in the Lord, God says, then the only thing you have is to trust in yourself, in your own heart. And your own heart will trick you. Your own heart will fool you. Your own heart will lie to you. Your own heart will mislead you. Your own heart will set a trap for you. Your own heart is deceitful. How much? God says above all things. God's qualified to say. He says, above all things. And it is not just wicked, it is desperately wicked. Then it asks the question, who can know it? The answer is given in the next verse, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So God says, I know the heart. I am in the business of searching the heart. 
You want to give me a title? I'm the heart searcher. And God says, I'll tell you what I found when I look in every man's heart. I found a deceitfulness. I found a deceitful, traitor, treacherous one inside of you. Above all things, deceitful, he says, and desperately wicked. That's what I found. So therefore, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Therefore, make the Lord your hope. You know, friend, if you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you have put your trust in him and you have put your hope in him, then you are free from the deceit of your own heart because you're saying, beyond what my heart says, I trust in the Lord. And you have a wonderful, wonderful source of water that we've been reading about. But you know, this is the prophet Jeremiah. He's the Jewish prophet. And he represents a people who do not have the Lord as their trust, who do not have their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ today. That is a terrible, terrible state. And if your heart is broken for the people of Jeremiah, for people of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a job for you in Southern California to bring the gospel to the Jewish people. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again next week as Tom Cantor continues to build our foundation and friendship with God. Now, as you've heard Tom speak about, Israel Restoration Ministries is looking for full-time couriers to take the gospel to the Jewish people in Southern California. If you're interested in going door-to-door to to reach these lost Jewish people, please contact us today at 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051. You can also contact us for more Tom Cantor videos, books, materials at 1-800-247-3051 or go to israelrestoration.org or friendshipwithgod.org. Join us again next week.